Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Nikki C, and welcome to another episode of Life Got In The Way, a podcast that is dedicated to growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's special guest is Lynn Tietrew. Lynn Tietrew has had a varied career as a frontline social service worker. She worked in a shelter for abused women and their children. She's worked with seniors, sex offenders in prison, and she has helped the homeless in an outreach center. Now, as a quasi-retiree, Lynn has made it her mission to help dropouts and other struggling students find their zone of genius. She helps them boost their confidence with workshops, one-on-one counseling, and group coaching. She is also building a professional roster of like-minded people to help her help struggling students fly the nest and go on to success. All right, everyone, you all ready to learn more about Lynn? All right, let's go. Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us. So you want to know when life got in the way when I was making other plans? Um, <laughs> probably my whole life, my whole life. Okay, um, let's start it, there. Okay. <laughs> Tell us a little um, bit about yourself and um, kind of where you, where you got your start, just to give us a little background information on how well, life got in the way. Things went along pretty smoothly until my third brother was, or my second brother was born because that's when my dad got sick. Oh, okay. um, yes. He, um, apparently he had scarlet fever when he was young and nobody noticed it and it deteriorated one of the valves in his heart. So oh, wow. for about a good year, my mom was looking after a man, a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a one-year-old and uh, had her hands full. And eventually my father died just before his 25th birthday. And my mom went into a deep depression. My uncle had to come and look after us. And she finally decided to move back to where her parents, close to her parents. Her parents were farmers. And uh, things went, no, things didn't go okay. I was telling, my grandmother got sick with cancer and it was in her throat. And I remember as a seven-year-old sitting in the living room and writing notes back and forth to her. She couldn't talk. So we improvised and and sat and communicated that way. And she passed away. My grandfather developed cancer. He passed away. And I was really close to them. These are my mom's parents. And then my mom remarried. And her and my stepfather had a little girl who was born with hydrocephalus. And that's water on the brain. And what happens is the cerebral spinal fluid that goes around your brain and down your spinal column got blocked. And it caused the, the... the fluid to build up around her brain and it slowly crushed her while she was in crushed her brain while she was in the womb. So she was 
profoundly mentally retarded, profoundly um, yeah, developmentally delayed. So um, my mom had to go back to work to pay for her medications. It was $100 back then. And in the, today's money, that's like $800 a month. So my mom had to go to back to work. And so I was put in charge of this. Well, it was like a living doll. She never cried. She couldn't suck. She couldn't, you know, she had to be spoon fed. And um, it was a big responsibility. So yeah, I had had Carrie for two, two years. And uh, how, how old were you at that time? I was 11 when Carrie was, um, uh, no, I was 12 when Carrie was born. Just, just wow. had just turned 12. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of responsibility. It is. And 12 year old. Yeah. And my mom had toxemia, so she had to bed rest for the last three months. So I had the meals to, to prepare the, the housekeeping to do the laundry to do all those other responsibilities. So it's, it, yeah, it's been tough and um, ended up marrying and, and it, my ex was a good man. We had two kids and I was not happy, not a happy camper at all. Um, I love my kids. I love my husband, but just couldn't, couldn't, uh, wasn't satisfied staying at home. I wanted to, I wanted to go back to school. So I worked with a friend of mine and we traded off. She would take X hours and I would look after her kids. And then she would look after my kids while I worked and we worked at a restaurant. I had the money accumulated. I applied to college. I was accepted. And the night that I was, the night before I was to go down to Oshawa and sign up for my course, my husband and I had a huge argument. He didn't want me to go. He said that we didn't have enough money. He said the money was gone. I couldn't understand that. And we had argued all night. And about the time that we were ready to stop arguing, my stepfather came and said that my brother had had a diving accident and broke his neck. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of changed plans all the way around. His spine was crushed just below the collarbone. Mm-hmm. And it was a what they call a three four break with a two three disability, and he was able to talk and eat and do all those things. But as far as the rest of his body, he could just shrug his shoulders. And rehabilitation. How, how old was he? But at that time, was he? he it, it was just before his twenty fifth birthday. <gasps> oh wow! Yes. Oh, wow! Wow! Yep. So uh, we made a pact as a family to always make sure that there was somebody down in the hospital with Dale. So, you know, that kind of changed, derailed my plans. I went at least once a week down to Sunnybrook and looked after my brother's kids so that my sister-in-law could go down to Sunnybrook. That's the name of the hospital. Um, it was really hard. He, his first reaction was that he didn't want to live. And I, yeah, he was a very vital man. Very active. He actually played hockey with one of the the Bukabooms who who won the Stanley Cup with Wayne Gretzky years oh, ago. Wow. Wayne, yes, yes. And so um that yeah, had to be yeah. So when the they won the Stanley Cup, they actually he actually brought the Stanley Cup in to my brother's room. So there's a picture of my brother and my nephew and the Bukaboom. Can't even forget <laughs> remember his first name in bed. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the prized pictures of the family. That is really cool. Yeah. 
And that thing they is had, huge. <laughs> it is. It was huge. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they said that he would have maybe three or four years to live. He lived for 19 and got to see his, his, his son was just an infant. He was like six weeks old when Dale had his accident. And Aaron was the same, well, 10 days older than my, my younger daughter. So the kids grew up really, really close. So, and Dale got to, got to watch them grow into some two beautiful human beings. And as though, and I'm thinking that this is probably the best dad that David could have had because David was not the sports nut. He was not the wanting to, you know, hang out with the guys. He was very into computers. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Me too. So David, um, Dale bought him a computer and, and David became a bit of a whiz on computers. And now he does animations along with his hot dog stand in Alberta and Aaron is in Alberta as well up North, but yeah. So, and my kids learned a lot from him. I mean, you really have to learn to be patient and accepting. And instead of arguing, like, you know, if you, Dale wants something, you don't second guess him, you, you do it. Um, yeah, he lived in the hospital those 19 years in the local hospital. He was moved to a local hospital. Okay. So yeah. having a brother with a disability, how has, how did that impact your life and maybe some things that you wanted to pursue or how did it change your trajectory? In other words, I realized how short life can be and how quick it can change through the accident and everything that, that, and the argument that we'd had, my ex and I, our relationship fell apart. And by the time I was 30, I was single. And I wanted to pursue my dream for higher education. So I went into my local public school, high school and asked the guidance counselor, how do I get to university? And he says, well, you know, we're in a semester system now. Why don't you come back to school, start tomorrow? and you can upgrade and complete your grade 13. Now this was 37 years ago when we had grade 13 in, in Canadian schools. That was, you were on the university track if you took grade 13, you were taking the, 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 okay. the more difficult courses. <laughs> so I did, I went back in with the students, actually had one teacher that I had the previous time that I was in school. I took math, took English and took world issues, which is of a, a sociology type course. And the math teacher confessed to me afterwards that she thought that she would have to be working with me after hours to get me caught up. But no, I, I passed, I think it was 73% or something. Okay. Yeah. That's passing. <laughs> That's passing. That's passing. Uh-huh. It just happened that the student behind me got 105% in that, in that course. And she went on to be a, a gerontologist in Oshawa, but her, her oh, wow. Her father was the math teacher that I had before. So it's, it was, it's fairly reasonable that she would be good in math. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She oh, had yeah. a built-in <laughs> support <laughs> system with that. Yes. Yes. So I applied to university as an adult with a, 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 who had just graduated. Like I was a high school graduate rather than as, as an adult student. And managed to do my undergrad, three-year undergrad degree in two years. Oh, Okay. How did yep. you, um, what was your secret to getting it done in, 
in uh, in two instead of a three. When I when it was getting to the end of that first year, I thought I'm on a roll, and there, there's summer schools, so why don't I take the summer school? So I did that. The people across the road looked after my daughters in the morning when I went to class, and then I picked them up in the afternoon and did my homework, and they played with their friends. And the third, the the last full year, I took six courses. There was two of us that did that. So you had two kids. You were two going kids. back and forth. You finished um, your schooling instead of three years. You got it done in two. That is amazing. Yes, that is so awesome. And how was how did you balance it all? Well, my tombstone is not going to read Lynn is a really good housekeeper. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a small, crappy apartment. So I didn't feel, you know, didn't feel like I had to have everything company ready. Because I had two kids, I made sure that I took courses that, that fell within that window that my kids were in school. That's very smart. And, very and smart. I treated it like a job. I went to the university in the morning and first thing in the morning when the kids got on the bus and took my classes and spent the rest of the time working, you know, doing my readings, working on my, working on my essays or my, my lab reports. And I came home and had to prepare meals for kids. So I had a very structured life at that time. And when I did my homework at home, it was kind of cool because my kids would sit at the table and do their homework too. Um, and their, their marks kind of went up at that time because you know, if they had questions, if they were struggling with something, I was there to help them. They didn't have to get up and go to the kitchen or, you know, move. It was just like, I'm having a problem. I can ask mom. She's right here. So it benefited them. And I was, you know, able to help them while I was doing my own work. So I, it wasn't interfering. Um, yeah. So, it, and, and I didn't realize at the time, I love swimming. And every noon hour, I would spend it in the swimming pool in the recreation facility and did a hundred laps every time. So it was sort of a, a moving meditation for me. You know, it was just me in the water and, and counting. And I think that that was one of the, the secrets was um, doing that exercise. Cause I know that exercise improves not only your body, but your brain. And it also cut me off from, from, you know, thinking about, anything I was just like I said it was like a moving meditation yeah that's like the greatest meditation you can have is to just do something where you don't have to necessarily focus on it because mm -hmm. you do it all the time yeah and that back and forth and back and forth I'm sure you got a lot of thoughts out and maybe mm -hmm. creativity and, and and different ways to do things and that's that's always a really good thing when we can have that time set aside to do that so many don't take time to just meditate and to sit with their thoughts so mm -hmm. being able to do that and get your exercise in is always yeah. always a plus right <laughs> yeah yeah I'm I'm very much an introvert so yeah swimming was, was my favorite exercise and my second favorite is walking but I don't like to walk on city streets I would much rather be walking in a in the woods with twisted paths and take my camera and take pictures and that's just 
my second favorite exercise. Nature walk. <laughs> yep. The forest is my cathedral. That is my where my spirituality lies. I understand that. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you have um, you've taken you've gotten the de- your degrees. Now, what did you get into that was fulfilling for you? Where you're just like, you know what? This is where I'm going to. I want to move forward and not just be seen as, like you said, the the housekeeper or <laughs> the person that's at home. You know, what do you what did you take? What did you take your degree and what did you um, what did it lead you into? I took psychology and loved it. Still passionate about how people behave in the world. Um, it turned out that my, I was pregnant for the last seven months. I had gotten engaged. And the fall, I ended my course in the, or ended my schooling in the fall or in August. My son was born in October. And the same day that he was born, my beloved grandmother had a stroke. Because I got this, I always had this habit. I'd, soon as the, soon as the baby was born and everybody cleared out of the way, I got on the phone and, and told my grandmother that you know she had a new great grandchild. And her first question was always, do they have red hair? Because <laughs> she had red hair. I have red hair. My two brothers mm-hmm. have red hair. And, you know, I disappointed her the first time first two times but this time I had a redhead and I was so excited (laughs) to tell her and I get on the phone and it's her but she's not coherent she didn't Mm. know who I was and then uh, a friend of hers said can you can you come and help your grandmother because she's she's not right she needs help and it's like I'm sitting there with a, a newborn baby on my lap in the hospital just giving birth and I couldn't do anything it just broke my heart and um, yeah, she died about 10 days later oh, and, no. and the, the, my son was born the day she had her stroke and he had his first smile and his first laugh the day of my grandmother's funeral. Wow. Another crazy coincidence. And, and he had the red hair. So I'm, I'm thinking that there's a, a, a connection there's a, there between the there's two. a connection yeah. between the two. Yeah. So, so yeah, the first uh, couple of years, I, after Tony was born, I worked with my husband. He was a paralegal and I would go in and help close housing deals and I could take my son with me. So that was one of the saving graces is I never ever had to leave my baby with somebody else and go back to work. That was, and I always thought at that time, pregnancy or maternity leave was about 24 weeks. Now in Canada, it's a full year and it's paternity. You can, both parents can take some of that time. It's a so year. That is amazing. A whole that year. Is a, a whole year. Yeah. I think, I think uh, the U.S. is like, we give you eight weeks. That should yeah. be enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you back in eight weeks. Like, so, wow. A whole year. I mean, that's just think about what you could get accomplished and what you could do with a, a year to just spend the most pre- precious moments with your child. Oh, gosh. Both yeah. parents. That's amazing. Both parents. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's the parents can split it. Mm-hmm. They can't, both of them can't take a full year. But yeah, but I mean, it. that's, that's what, 52 weeks? It's 52 <laughs> weeks. And a lot of men choose to, those, those first few weeks, they tend to stay, um, stay home and, and help their wife and, and bond with the baby. And so it's, it's amazing. And things have changed so much in the world now. I had to shame my brothers-in-law to attend the births of their children. 
Mm. My, my husband had agreed to do that, but, but they had to be shamed into it. And we, we, the three, three brothers had babies around the same time. They were all born in the same year. So we were all pregnant together. You know, I said, you know, no, I'm not going to go in the nursery room when I, or into the, into the delivery room. And I said, well, you know, the only men who have to be, be concerned about fainting during delivery are the ones that passed out during the conception. So they, they finally, <laughs> finally agreed and realized that, yep, this was the best experience of their life. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I worked with my husband for a while and then I applied for a job at a, at a community resource center in a low income housing area and came in as working with the children in the, in the health program. So I did, it was sort of babysitting, but it was also giving nutritious snacks and, um, you know, just sort of keeping a, an ear out for, you know, there's always issues around parenting and things like that. And sort of guiding the, my friend Kim did the guiding of the, the, the moms at that time and, and did uh, workshops on, on cooking and healthy, healthy foods and, and budgeting and using the flyers when there's discounts and actually taking them shopping. So she did that while I looked after the kids and played with them. So that was, that was fun. And, but what was your favorite part working with the uh, children? Playing with them. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, I, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, young people can't feel old, mm-hmm. but old people can't, can feel young. I mean, I can, I know what it's like to be a 67 year old cause I'm 67, but I also let loose my inner two-year-old and have a tantrum tantrum, but my default <laughs> is, is the four-year-old because mm-hmm. they are so curious and so playful and ask so many questions because they, they want to do. That was my favorite age group to work with. I had an opportunity to work with four-year-olds and I don't know, five-year-olds are cool too, but four-year-olds, mm-hmm. it's just that something about that age, they're a little bit older than three mm-hmm. and then they're not quite five. So they're not as independent, but they're trying to be. And so they're just in this adorable stage. Yep. Only last for a year, but no, no <laughs> but it's a really cool time. And it is. Yeah. It drives some people crazy, all those questions, but I love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're learning and they're looking and I get to look at the world through their eyes you know you know they ask me a question and my first answer is or my first response is well what do you think yeah I get some amazing responses because they thought about it first before they ask yeah and then and just their little conversations that they have sitting at the tables just to to, just listen to their conversations they're so interesting (laughs) I don't know why I would have I just didn't really think about what they would talk about but just Mm -hmm. to sit there and listen to their little conversations and their thought processes it's pretty cool pretty cool we had a little kitchenette set at the resource center and it had a phone at the end and they would get on this phone and have very interesting one-sided conversations. A lot of inf- interesting information came out in those phone calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes the, the parents weren't really keen on the, that we knew what was happening, but yeah, it was pretty oh, interesting. Yeah. Kids <laughs> tell a lot. <laughs> My mom said. <laughs> yeah. So from there, I went on to work in the women's shelter that uh, yeah, I was with the YWCA at the resource center and they had two shelters here in, in Peterborough as well. So I went on to work there and then I moved to another women's shelter in Lindsay and also got a contract with the Children's Aid Society and 
did my stint in prison. I did my nine months in prison as working in the sexual behavior clinic at Warwick Worth. Okay. okay. I worked for, worked for senior citizens. So I did work with victims and perpetrators and the young and the old. And um, I'm one of these people that likes to learn. So if I sort of, if I'm not learning anymore, I get restless. So hence the, the various positions that I had. But now I'm retired and I'm working on my legacy project. Okay. Independent. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your legacy project. When I went back to high school, I saw firsthand what it's like to aspire to get an education, to go towards whatever. And some of the students that I was with then went to the same university. And I was, I found out that first year in psychology that 30% of the students dropped out in their first year. That's a large that's, number. That is a large number. And now it's 35%. And it's 40% in this, this, the STEM programs, the science, technology, Those math, engineering, yeah. And, and math. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to find out why. Why were, why were students dropping out? Mm-hmm. So I've identified nine different things. And one of them is the, the lack of engaging. And what I call is classroom confidence, you know, being ready to answer questions from the teacher, asking questions of the teacher, advocating for themselves. And now there's a trend towards having to do uh, a project to teach the class something that you have learned. So there's this public speaking component. Mm -hmm. The ones who are shy and anxious tend to sit at the back of the class and we know black of the class is the ones that um, tend to act up a little bit. The chatting goes on back there or they can hide. And that change, the concept of the back of the class changes big time when you're going from a 30 person classroom to a 300 person theater. Oh, I've learned that the hard way. I said, yes, got to class late one time and I heard none of the lecture. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was talking. Everybody was on computers. And I was like, I didn't get anything from I was like I'm going back to the front (laughs) make sure I get my seat early so I know what's going on so that is definitely so true so that's the area that I'm addressing directly I'm um, developing a program to help students become more classroom confident and I'm doing it in small groups and doing it virtually that's another thing my daughter my daughter went to university she just graduated in psychology and, and women's studies at uh, the same alma mater that I went to. And during COVID, I got to sit in on the lectures because they were done by Zoom. And there was a lot of students that didn't say anything. Their cameras were off. They were not engaging. And and some of those lectures were phenomenal. I loved sitting in on them. So that was another thing. And then when it came to doing these presentations, some of them would not show up on that day. And I knew it was probably because they were sick not an illness like a cold or the flu, but so anxious about giving that presentation mm-hmm. that they were, they were making themselves physically ill. Yeah. So that's the problems that I want to address, but there's other ones. Some of them don't have life skills. Yes, that is, that is definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, as um, you know, I, I also work in education. So very 
clear when life skills, not having those skills is really kind of affects the development of um, their, or, or their ability for some to even function mm-hmm. in the way that is healthy for them, you know, about having even just simple time management skills. Yes. That's another skills. one. Yeah. You know, those are, the, you know, those are the simplest things and it, it can really affect them. And it's, you know, going high school, going into college. And if you never got those experiences or got those, like you said, life skills where you just not, sometimes don't, pe- everyone doesn't just pick it up along the way. Sometimes it takes people a little longer because how do you know about something if you never encountered it or experienced it, you know? And when you've got parents to say, you know, it's time you were, you were in bed, they're itching to get on their own so that they can go to bed when they, are, they feel like it. Mm-hmm. So they don't know the consequences of what it's like to get up early in the morning and go to school after you haven't got enough sleep. Right. And it's a lot cheaper to learn those things when they're in high school than it is when they're on their own in college or university. Yes. It, uh, yeah. It's better to learn it in high school. It costs a lot of money. We're <laughs> not going to class. I, I, I just, I remember being in college and there were people just like, oh, I was tired. I just didn't go. I was like, but you're paying for it still. <laughs> you're probably to this day still paying for it. Mm-hmm. And teachers are just as bad too. It was well, not the youth. It's, it's how they were raised. I have mm-hmm. a friend who, when her kids turned 16, they were considered adults in the family when they, you know, when they learned how to drive the car. So they didn't monitor when they went to bed. They didn't check on their report cards and they learned to be responsible for themselves. You know, after a few days of not going to bed on time and, you know, getting up and going to school, they, uh, they learned and, you know, and she had six of them. So it wasn't like she just had one or two. She, and she did them all the same way. And they're all very different from each other, but they learned in the home. And one of the, that was really amused me was when I went was in high school, I wore walking shorts, walking shorts were a trend back then. And they, they came down to the knee and I wore stockings underneath them. So when the summertime came, I put on shorts and didn't wear stockings underneath, but they still came down to the knee. And I was asked to go to the principal's office because I was wearing shorts to school. 30 years old, and I was hauled That's into funny. the principal's office because I was wearing shorts to school. So I had driven to school. So I drove home at lunchtime, changed into a sundress that had spaghetti straps, no bra, n- no back and long skirt. My knees were covered. Nobody said a thing. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's, that's crazy. So, I mean, oh my God. how can you act like an adult? when you're being treated like a child. Mm-hmm. Now the, the, the um, clothes are very different now. You know, the schools have relaxed on that bit, thankfully. But there's still that kind of mentality. You know, you didn't hang your, hang your report in on time. Is there something wrong? And so if the, tries, try, uh, the student is shy or awkward or anxious, they may be waiting for the the teacher to remind them that they need to get it handed in or to give them an excuse as to why it isn't handed in. Whereas Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen in college or university. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to do the work yourself. And the thing is, if you don't hand it in on time, sometimes you can advocate and get it, you know, get an excuse, but 
a lot of the time the teachers are just saying, well, you either deduct marks or you get nothing for it. And you don't really, nobody gets, really gets to learn that lesson until the, the, the reports are given out. You know, you've lost, you've lost a ton of marks here just because you didn't hand something in on time or didn't hand it in at all. Mm-hmm, that's true. So there's uh, some parenting issues, there's some school issues, um, the, the, the exercise thing. They, they talk about the freshman 15. I didn't get the freshman 15 because I was, I was already preparing meals, healthy meals for my family, and I was getting my exercise in every day. And when I was doing summer school, I biked back and forth. Yeah, I didn't get the freshman 15 until after college. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so yeah, all of these things uh, play a role in just the success of being a a college student. Mm -hmm. So overall, what is what is it that you are looking to accomplish with your legacy project? To raise awareness, I'm doing a Facebook live program called My Voice Counts to the the uh, parents edition and giving helping parents understand that all these things play a factor in their child's future education. So they have expectations for their children to, to go on to tertiary education or even, you know, go into become a journeyman in something or journeywoman now. Mm-hmm. They have to start treating their kids like adults and they also have to teach them the life skills. That is their, their job isn't to bear babies and raise babies. It's to turn those babies into self-sufficient, independent caring people, adults. Yes. So so I invite people in my program and and who address those nine areas. And I'm also um, doing my small group program on the areas of classroom confidence. And I will be soon doing a Facebook live for students and having people come in to talk directly to them about what they can do to help themselves. And the other part is them not knowing themselves. A lot of people, they only see the world through their parents' eyes. They don't get, get a chance to explore and see the, find out what they might be interested in and passionate about. What are some ways that parents can kind of help their children get to know themselves or, or get to um, get to the point where they're, I guess, discovering who they are? Because like you said, sometimes it, it is hard. It is, mm-hmm. it is a challenge. So what, what can parents do to kind of encourage and, and just kind of support students in that journey? When they have friends over, ask their friends to talk to their children about what they do for a living and how it makes them feel. You know, talk mm-hmm. about, about what's, it's, what's good about their job, what's not so good about their job and the things that they, they're learning along the way. If they, if there's, social circle isn't isn't varied then a lot of people you just say hey can you talk to my kid about the job you're doing that's so helpful because sometimes we don't really care about as as you know when as children and students they don't necessarily care that what their parents are doing because they're like oh that's what mom does that's what dad does but when someone else comes in and says hey I do this then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden there's another interest because this person is completely different from the parents, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they can tell you, you know, they're not going to sugarcoat it in the way that maybe you, you think your parents mm-hmm. are, 
because they're your parents, but just having those different, like you said, those varied uh, people with different backgrounds coming in and just giving that, um, just telling about their experiences is very, I think, beneficial for for kids to have that. Um, I've called them kids for young people, mm-hmm. <laughs> for young people to just have um, a different perspective and and different know their options. Mm-hmm. So many because there are options. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the trades are just as fulfilling as what um, education is or business is, or it's adults now or young adults now recognize that jobs aren't just about the money and not just about the prestige. They want mm-hmm. to be passionate about what they're doing. And I think that's an excellent trend, but they, they're not going to find their passion if they're following the same path every day. They need to go down different streets, down different roads, meet different people, do different things so that they know, you know, that the world is big and huge and so accessible now. COVID, if nothing else, has given me the gift of being a global citizen. I know. I feel like we're, we're, I mean, you're in Canada right now and I'm on the West Coast and I'm Uh just like, here we are talking just like you know it's it's so cool I've had opportunities to talk to people across the globe and it's just so phenomenal what a what a difference a zoom call could make (laughs) (laughs) and and that's it too you know everybody practically everybody has a, a, a computer in their home and it's so easy mm-hmm. so easy to connect with people around the world and also email I came across a a study that was done about dropouts and about students burning out. And they had created a a survey that they used for their study. And I asked if I could use it or adapt it for for an assessment tool for my program. And I just emailed and they said, yes, just, you know, you can ask questions and people are very giving. Yeah. So they said, yeah, so I can use it. And and they said yeah, email right. was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know COVID was coming. <laughs> the pandemic, is, it was a resurgence of emailing. Mm-hmm. But yes, that's, it's, so, it's so good to have everything in such a um, just uh, com- like compact way that you're able to just kind of connect with people and so mm-hmm. easily. So speaking of people, there's so many people that... Uh, you know, help with our own personal growth. What has been your role? What is, what does mentorship play in terms of your personal growth? I've had some really interesting mentors along the way, and a lot of them have been friends. My passion for going to university, particularly Trent University, was that my best friend went. And she was the one that inspired me and and created that itch for me to, to go further. And she was the type of person that I could call at two o'clock in the morning and she would listen. And being that given, giving was, she was an inspiration to me. I had a really great person who uh, guided me when I was working in the, in the community center, Kim Dolan. She is a very, very wise woman. And she didn't further her education. She started working at the shelters when she was young. And she, she had that ability to make connections and make decisions and be really, really wise. And she used it well. Now she's the executive director of that very, the YWCA that the community resource center and the, the shelters were run out of. Oh, so she, full circle. circle. Full circle. Yes. 
yes, no, she's been doing an amazing thing. So I'm so glad that I've got her as a resource and, and an inspiration. And when I left my second husband, she was right there too. And, and helped me with it. So yeah. And you know, my grandmother, my grandmother was the one that first taught me that, you know, housekeeping isn't the biggest thing in the world. She was a lousy <laughs> housekeeper too, <laughs> but she taught me how to, how to cook and make cornbread and, and all those, you know, I started when I was five cooking with her. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing when you have all of these really positive, positive peer pressure to go back to school and just people who are just there for you every step of the way and your milestones. So you've, you've had all of these, you've, you, you've suffered loss, you've, you've uh, law, you know, relationships have changed, some have, you know, expanded, things have changed along the way. What is the most important lesson out of all of the experiences that you've had, that you've learned over your career? I think that the most important lesson that I've learned is to know myself and be myself, to know that I've got strengths, that I've got superpowers, and that I have vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And some of those weaknesses are overusing my superpowers, but knowing who I am and knowing that I am a valuable human being, because there was a lot of times that I didn't feel like a valuable human being. So that knowing, knowing yourself is, is huge and, and appreciating that. So, and, and, insisting that people respect that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. I love that. Okay. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, before you go, I mm-hmm. wanted to just do a couple of random round questions. To ask okay. You. So other people, I know we've gotten a lot of details about you, but just so people can just know a little bit more about you, the person, mm-hmm. what are some things that you felt over the years you had to unlearn? I was raised to be a farmer's wife. My mom grew up in a farm family. She, her second husband was a farmer. My brothers learned how to be, learned all the skills of of being a farmer. I was taught all the skills of being a farm wife and mother. And I had to unlearn that those don't have to be the be all and end all. That even though I didn't follow the path that my parents expected me to do, I'm still what I'm doing is valuable and fulfilling for me. They couldn't have lived my life, but I am, and I'm living it now to the best of my ability. So um, yeah, and retirement, I don't have to retire the traditional way either. So yeah. So those are good life lessons. (laughs) (laughs) I do not have to continue this path. What is the most inspiring thing that you have read or an inspiring song or a quote that you have uh, seen recently that really resonated with you? Well, my favorite quote is from Nellie McClung. And actually my great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother was arrested with Nellie, Nellie McClung. Nellie McClung was the Canadian suffragette. Okay. And, okay. and my great-grandmother was arrested and imprisoned with Nellie McClung, which oh, wow. my, family, my family hid that from me because that's, you know, a woman going to jail. That's, that's, that's shameful. That's a story right there. Like, well, that's is. when we sit around the table and have a conversation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, she's my hero. She's my hero. But her, her uh, Nellie McClung's, her quote that I love is, 
never retract, never refrain, never apologize. Just get the damn thing done and let them howl. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite quote. Okay. And last one, what is the best compliment you've ever gotten? There's three of them. They all go together. I, after my daughter was born, I was well over 200 pounds and I gradually lost 50 of them. And my daughter's dad's best friend said, if you keep losing weight, somebody's going to kidnap you. Um, my okay. next door neighbor's little girl said, then you're not fat anymore. You're just chubby. <laughs> and going to a family event wearing jeans that were uh, not baggy and a blouse that was not modest. And my 14-year-old nephew saying, wow, wow. So those, those are my favorite three compliments. Don't you love how family <laughs> has a way of just <laughs> giving <laughs> family friends can just give you these compliments and you're like yeah. you know what I will take that, that yes <laughs> because I know that's coming from a place of love <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well thank you so much Lynn it has been such a joy having you on the podcast uh, I know you probably have some projects going on so if the listeners wanted to know what uh, some things that you have going on where can they go and what are some things that you kind of have down going down the pipeline well, I am going to be starting my pilot project for my My Voice Counts 2 um, classroom confidence program. So I am looking for young people who have been struggling in school to participate and help me create one that's really good. And I am, I am developing a keynote address for first year students to encourage them to show up ask questions and be themselves as they enter university. And I've asked my alma mater Trent University if they will allow me to address their first year students. So I'm hoping for a positive answer. If not, I'll just have to find another place to deliver it. Okay. All right. All right. And what are some of your social media handles if if people are looking for you? Where can they find you? Uh, My social media handle is hashtag MVC2. And my, um, my website, which isn't quite up yet, is uh, myvoicecounts2thenumber2.com. And I can be released, released at, uh, reached at com. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, just being a part of the podcast and taking time out of your day. And um, I just want to thank the listeners for always taking time out to listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow the podcast, all of those great things. Um, Continue to listen to the podcast and you can tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. And a new episode will air. And um, until next time, um, remember to just keep dreaming. Um, If you're not dreaming, then what you doing? (laughs) 